You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to the Conservative Conscience, and welcome to our Westwood One audience. This is your host, indeed, Daniel Horowitz, in the house on Wednesday, February 14th. And uh, my mind is racing a mile an hour. The world is racing a mile an hour. It seems like there is so much going on. Policies, distractions, other things outside of Washington that are important and aren't distractions. There's tragedies, there's a shooting in Florida. And we become numb. It's so hard to think. We become reactive to everything thrown at us. And there's no one, no one, within the Republican Party, within the so-called conservative movement, giving a counter vision of what we stand for, what's achievable on systemic governmental reforms, on immigration, on health care, on budget, on spending, on debt, on the military, on foreign policy, corporate welfare, market interventions. You know, I could go through, I've been working on about 15 different issues this week. And by the way, we have tons of written content at Conservative Review. I'm going to try to link to all my articles from this week. I can't even remember them all. I'm not going to get them. And I have many more on deck that I just haven't had a chance to write. But we are being hosed by the political class on issue after issue after issue, including things you probably haven't even heard of on the so-called criminal justice jailbreak reform on Fannie Mae drawing 3.7 billion more from the treasury and slated to probably draw up to 12, 13 billion in order to continue their market distorting racket to hurt consumers and taxpayers. Ethanol is destroying jobs left and right worse than ever. I didn't even have time to get to these three issues. I just mentioned, I didn't even have time to write about them yet. Tons of stuff, the social engineering in the military. Aside from the typical issues that we talk about, sanctuary cities, funding Planned Parenthood, you name it. Backwards policies in Syria and Afghanistan. And part of why I'm really hoarse today is because I've given over this podcast, so to speak, to a number of people, a few friends I have in this business, colleagues, that are receptive to the message, just trying to work together to see what we can do to change the trajectory, including some elected officials, not many, but the few that are willing to hear from me. And <laughs> they're, they're dwindling in number. If you want to be confronted with the truth, very few want to be confronted with the truth. And I cannot find almost a single person who is willing to do anything effective and meaningful on a single one of these issues. You know, in healthcare policies, I'm creating a bunch of ideas. I literally have nobody to talk to. And by the way, many of you in this audience are smarter than anyone who claims to work in public policy, um, especially those of you who are DPC physicians or you work in the industry. Let me know your ideas because, you know, I don't, I only know a little bit. 
I mean, that's a lot in this business because most people don't know anything and they spew anyway. Um, but you know, there, there, there's really nobody to talk to. Often I'll need certain numbers and a certain stat on a certain thing. And people are like, I don't even know what that is. People who work at HHS, I literally cannot find anyone to speak to our core issues, to speak to any issue. And this is the problem we have. There's a crisis of values. There's a lot of pay for play in this business. There's a lot of, oh, let me get on Fox News and promote my brand. It's not about fighting for a cause. But then there's also a crisis of intellect. Just people don't know what the heck they're talking about. They don't know what they don't know. They don't know what to follow. They don't know a narrative to drive. They don't monitor what's important. Hey, here's my latest CNN meme. And, you know, it's, it's no coincidence that Trump evidently told um, reporters as an Axis article that his strategy this year is to focus on, quote, unexpected flashpoints in the culture. Now, obviously not fighting the homosexual agenda and transgenderism, that type of stuff. No, 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 no. But meaning, you know, standing for the national anthem. And I'm not saying that's not important, but these type of things, all the, you know, what the media was doing with Kim Jong-un's sister in North Korea at the Olympics, that type of stuff. Now, that would be fine icing on the cake if we had a cake. It's fine to focus on on distractions and some of these media fights, some of the icing on the cake, if you have the policy outcome cake to begin with. But if you're going to give the Democrats everything they want on every policy issue, or if the courts and the bureaucracies are going to continue and exacerbate the worst of the Obama-era policies and our people do nothing to stop them, then what's the point in fighting the media? Tell me, what's the point? When are we going to get to the beef? And that's what I realized, that there's nobody to speak to any of this. You know, I was planning on doing a rundown on a lot of these issues. We're going to do them as time goes on. You know, late-breaking Wednesday evening, Trump said he's open to raising the gas tax by 25 cents. I have a very thorough piece giving the conservative position on transportation and infrastructure and how it's the exact opposite direction. The only way to achieve efficiency and improvements, mainly in maintenance, because it's mainly a maintenance issue, not so much a new construction issue, and even the maintenance is way overblown, is to devolve both the revenue – and the responsibility to the states and make local communities debate it where it is more transparent, where you don't have the distortion of the political decisions that are made at a federal level. The way to look upon it is imagine if we had garbage collection decided all in Washington, all 50 states garbage collection, all whatever 4,000 or so counties decided in Washington with Davis-Bacon regulations, all sorts of uh, – Nuances. I don't know what the mass transit equivalent of garbage collection would be, but you get my point. 20% of the gas tax revenue is wrongfully against the promise of the Highway Trust Fund, purloined from the trust fund, which is um, funded through the gas, the federal tax, gas tax, 18.4 cents on regular gas and what is it, 24.4, I have it in my article for diesel, as well as 
you know, that's about 86% of the revenue. 14% comes from excise and sales taxes on tires, on tractors, some heavy trucks, things like that. Um, and it's siphoned off for, for mass transit. Mass transit accounts for just 2% of trips. If you had to decide that on a local level, you'd have a very different outcome. No one, no one wants to talk about this. No one wants to speak to this. It's a false choice between raising taxes, massively expanding spending, or crumbling infrastructure. And by golly, who doesn't want infrastructure? So that – I mean again, I mean I could go on and on with all these issues, but that's just that issue. No one's speaking to it. Let me tie in another element here before I give my speech. <laughs> and I know I'm giving a speech about giving the speech. Simultaneously, while we have the political adultery in Washington, we have primary elections brewing for the midterms. Now, you would expect many opportunities for candidates to now say with a high degree of specificity what they would do. Oh, my gosh. Hey, I want to run. These guys, look at what they're doing. I will fully repeal Obamacare. I'm going to go against the cartel. No amnesty. I'm going to fight for chain migration. I mean, against it. I'm going to fight against the judiciary. I'm going to enact judicial uh, jurisdiction stripping legislation. We're going to audit the Fed. We're going to end the ethanol mandate. No, you don't hear that. You know, at CR, we're going to start a a bigger focus on candidates. And I will have – I announced that I would have a meet the candidate segment. So far, I've just had Chip Roy on. And Chip Roy is the antithesis of everything I'm talking about because he understands this stuff. And he's he's righteous, he's he's stronger than I am on, on, on these issues, and he's a, he's a rare gem. But you see what you're lacking in every other candidate. I can't get people to get beyond the stupid platitudes and commit to a specific agenda that gives us confidence that they're not going to be like everyone else. And you know, I invited some people on. Some people will come on. There's a couple that I'll be honest with you. Um, they're lower level staffers, and you know I, I I don't act like so high and mighty. I don't send an intern a CR to go out and contact. I you know shoot the campaign manager or whatever comms director an email or a text myself. And what's interesting is they're all always very excited. But then what I sense happens is they bring it up the chain of command and they kind of realize who we are and that we're pretty serious and we're going to ask pretty serious thoughtful questions. And suddenly they don't become so interested. Now, we'll see what happens, but I'll just tell you this much. If a candidate cannot come before this audience in a primary when everyone's all you know hardcore and commit with some degree of specificity to what they're going to do and what they stand for and speak intelligently about the core issues of our time, it sure as heck ain't going to happen on its own once they get to Washington. I can tell you that much. At best, there'll be a Ben Sass in the Witness Protection Program. More likely, there'll be a Joni Ernst, the Langford, uh, um, Deb Fisher that are downright on the other side. So I was trying to figure out how to solve this. And I keep saying we need a competing narrative. We need a counter narrative. We need the few good people to bind together as some sort of force multiplier to do something. And I keep thinking of different individual policy ideas. Let's rally behind welfare reform, judicial reform, um, a, a broader healthcare agenda that's very populist but free market at the same time. 
of fighting against the hospital insurance cartel, getting the government and the cartel out from between you and your doctor. And, you know, just keep chasing my tail. And last night I thought of an idea. And and again, this is not a long-term idea. It addresses the short-term crisis that we have, that we're stuck with this paradox where Republicans control all branches. So every Republican, including the few good ones, are going to be saddled with all the liabilities. I understand the generic ballot is getting a little better, but it's all relative. It, it was it was polling worse than Democrats were in the 2010 midterms, so maybe it's about where it was. They're still getting crushed in state legislative um, special elections, including those that are in solid Republican districts, you know, and there's going to be a washout. There's no competing narrative. It's very clear nothing's going to get done this year except for bad stuff. They're not even doing budget reconciliation, so nothing good will get passed. No good narrative aside from the tax cuts to go into the midterm elections. Obviously, we need, in the long run, a new party. Obviously, short of that, we need to go from primaries to state conventions the way we select our nominees um, for for really everything, but certainly for House and Senate. And I'm going to get to that more in depth at a later date. Um, you could Google Daniel Horowitz performing primaries, state conventions. You'll see a very long article I wrote last year on this, speaking to this point, or two years ago. But – we need something in the short term that we could speak above the clamor, above the endless news cycle that ignores our issues, that if actually properly addressed would electrify not just the GOP base but a broad subsection of this country. And we need to disentangle the good members from the bad members. We need to disentangle the frauds from the real people running in primaries. We need a way – to magnify and multiply our message in a, in a grand way that will gain a lot of attention. And we need a message that will stand above the false choice, above even Trump and his polarizing baggage, like him, hate him, and stand on its own merits. No, this is not a magic pill. There is no magic pill. But I do think this is the best thing I can think of in the short run that I think will serve as also a bridge to the midterm and long-term goals of more aggressive ideas. And that is we need, we need a new contract with America. We need a taxpayer bill of rights, a bill of rights for the forgotten man, a bill of rights – for the forgotten taxpayer and consumer that will have six to seven principles and each one will have a few bullet points with very specific but easy to message, easy to sell, populist but conservative constitutional reforms and ideas that re-empower the people, re-empower localism, make Article One great again, go after corporate welfare, and market distortions, go after government-created monopolies in the private sector that hurt consumers, particularly focus on the areas of immigration that fleece the taxpayer, and wrap it around that thesis, the forgotten taxpayer and consumer. And then 
do what Newt Gingrich did in 1994, but take it to the next level. It would require, and, and I'm giving over to you something that I am simultaneously pitching before I even pitched it to most people, but I'm disclosing it to you guys and let me know your feedback. But this is what I'm going to work on. Where you'd have some of the Freedom Caucus leaders, Rand Paul, Ted Cruz, whoever, get together. You know, the contract with America was just the House. I think this would be more effective to make it bicameral. And write down a very specific agenda. See, right now the problem is we, we kind of share the same values, but everyone's lost. Nobody is giving the exact case for what we believe in. We're losing our narrative. Everyone's confused. Even the people who work in conservative politics, certainly you know anyone else, are very confused. But people know the truth when they see it, and if you actually write it down and articulate it. But it's not just going to be a document. What Gingrich did in the Contract of America was on – September 27, 1994, he had members of all, you know, hundreds of candidates for office come down and sign the pledge. So it was a synergy of the existing members and those actually running to have a narrative to run on against the Democrats. And they signed the contract with America. I want to take that a step further. I, I think this should be done as soon as possible while the primaries are going on. See, here's the difference. There, Democrats were in power. Republicans were railing against the status quo as a whole. It was leadership led by um, Newt Gingrich and Dick Armey that spearheaded it. So it was R versus D type of thing. And, of course, the promises failed. The House did actually try to pass some of this stuff. Um, The Senate was a dumpster fire, and then we just went backwards from there. But, you know, let's face it. It was relatively the most successful thing we've had since Reagan. Most of the benefits we had are now countermanded because we've gone, you know, 18 years without any leadership. But that's why we need leadership. But here the power would be is Republicans are in power. They're part of the problem. How do you disentangle conservatives who want to say a pox upon all your houses? But not just a pox upon your houses. Here is our commitment and our statement of beliefs, but not just a statement of principles. I think it should have that and also very specific legislation where people like Dave Bratt, Warren Davidson, Jim Jordan, Mark Meadows will introduce the specific bills. And then you have – and then this – you could imagine what this does to the primaries. You have set a date, April 15th, tax day, I think would be a great time to do it if, if they could plan it in time. Rally everyone behind it. It will literally upend the whole primary process, and you'd have people like Freedom Caucus guys leading it on the Capitol steps, and Ryan and McCarthy and McConnell would be completely emasculated. I think this is actually more powerful than the I than than um, going after Ryan's speakership because let's and I'm I'm all for that and I've written for that. I'm just saying you're going to get another puke. We don't have enough votes. But that's how it is. But anyway, one more step would be you're not just signing on to principles. The, me- the, the primary candidate signing onto it would have to pledge that they will co-sponsor these bills. We're not going to pass anything this year. We don't have the votes. We're going to get beaten down. 
But the conservatives have a choice. We could just go along with this, wring our hands, or we could hope for a better day that both pays off immediate dividends now that you could win your election, get in reinforcements and disentangle the frauds from the real people, get them on record, and then come in next year with a real mandate. And I know you could push back with me all the reasons why this won't work. But first think of the reasons why it will work and think of what is better. Again, this is not a competition to convention of the states, to starting a new party, to reforming the primary process. This is something that I believe we can do now, that we must do now anyway. We need now for a number of reasons. That will just raise morale. It will electrify. It will name and shame. Some of the things will be old things that we failed with. Term limits. Ron DeSantis has a bill to abolish congressional pensions. Things like that. Civil service reform. Audit the Fed. Audit all of our foreign aid and military support for foreign regimes for cost-benefit analysis of what we've gotten and what we've given you know i knew there's a lot of unfortunately a lack of vision on foreign policy and a lot of divisions but i think that should be something that everyone should agree to there's ways to thread that needle but it's all about the disenfranchised and ignored forgotten man what what made me think of this and i have an article out today is i was reading a story and of course no one else is really talking about this I was reading a story. This happened early Monday morning, like one in the morning, at in Winston Salem, North Carolina. Yet another case where an illegal alien kills an American. In this case, it was particularly heart wrenching. An illegal alien from El Salvador. What's this creep's name? Jose Duran Romero was driving while intoxicating, twice the legal limit. Didn't have a driver's license. He crashed into an ambulance. It flipped over. That ambulance was transporting a mother and her three-year-old son. (sighs) Three-year-old son. On the way to, I believe on the way to a hospital, a trauma center. It's not clear what the medical issue was. Um, The kid eventually died. The mother just had minor injuries as well as the two ambulance the ambulance driver and the and the technician and the the name has not been released yet but the name of the mother is um reportedly lindsey ann oaks of weiss virginia on the but they were in north carolina and the dreams of this american dreamer were snuffed out i saw a picture of the family um again they didn't give a name for the kid they actually blocked out a picture of the kid i saw that picture and i saw it juxtaposed to the picture of the illegal who also had a companion in the car and they both initially fled the scene as was the case in the indiana accident with the that killed um edwin jackson the colts linebacker and his uber driver james monroe and um you know, so same story, same pattern. There's a lot of these out there. ICE has let go 20,000 
illegals already convicted of DUIs under Obama, sanctuary cities on a local level have done countless thousands. There's a lot of DUI illegals, in case you haven't noticed. And I saw the picture of the juxtaposition of the two. And I said to myself, I'm watching the debate in Congress. And there's not a single person. I mean, Ted Cruz is the only one who said no amnesty, who voted against the motion to proceed. Everyone else, including Trump, including Tom Cotton. Daka, 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 daka. Under everyone's plan, including the Grassley-Trump framework, this guy would have been eligible for that status. DUIs do not disqualify for the most part. And what's amazing is the Trump bill introduced by Grassley and Cornyn and these other guys and signed on by Tom Cotton, evidently, said, quote, in their one-pager on it, their bullet points, that the eligibility criterion will work with Trump's, with um, Obama's standards. And I'm thinking, you have the most illegal act in American history, giving affirmative benefits to illegals. And even the most so-called conservative Republicans use his egregious illegality and violation of American sovereignty as the legitimate baseline from which to craft a new law. And I said, everyone's speaking for that Jose Romero guy. He has the, the weight of the entire cartel, the entire political business cartel, who is speaking for Lindsay Ann Oaks and her three-year-old son that, that is deceased, that is killed by these so-called dreamers. Who is speaking for the forgotten men and women of this country? The taxpayers and consumers that are forced because of the Buddha government, because of the breach of the social compact and the social contract and the violation of our constitutional system of governance to go and pay for the rope to hang themselves with. Who is speaking for us? Who is giving our side of the story? Who is speaking out against any of these issues? And that's when I said, we need a force multiplying document that has teeth in it. That's going to gain traction in the media and the news and tap into the electoral process. And this is the best I've come up with. Let me know if you think it's underwhelming. I don't know. Maybe I'll think of something better. But this is what bothered me. Nobody. You know, you had this vile human being, Judge Nicholas Garalfus from the Eastern District of New York, who literally said, screw statute. I don't care. I don't care about the Constitution. You are not allowed to get rid of Obama's unconstitutional amnesty unless you give me a sufficient reason. And what's the concern? I I don't care about him so much. So what? I've said this a million times on the show. Courts do not have the ability to put a positive on a negative of an executive branch. They can't force you to exercise the executive power in contravention to what the way you want to do it. They could say, don't execute this guy, but they can't say, you must give this guy refundable tax credits. You must give this guy a social security card. And yet, what's the conservative, or even from conservative friends? Well, at least this takes the pressure off, and it makes March 5th not a a drop-dead deadline. What do you mean it makes it? No, it doesn't. Why are you legitimizing that? There is literally nothing a court can do 
to this country that will elicit a righteous reaction. There is literally nothing illegal aliens and the sanctuary city agenda can do that will elicit a righteous reaction from the political class. I mean, you saw with the Pat Toomey amendment to defund sanctuary cities, Democrats were so scared of it, they blocked motion to proceed to the entire bill because they didn't want to be forced to vote on it. Why in the world wouldn't Republicans slip that into the next budget bill? Force Demo- hey, Democrats already got crushed on shutting down the government over amnesty. Imagine doing it over sanctuary cities. Nothing. There's a great bill out there from Todd Rakita to um, levy up to a year in, in jail time or fines for politicians that harbor illegal aliens and thwart federal immigration law. Now, we don't know yet that, to be clear, I don't know the details of this guy, whether he had a criminal history and was let go by sanctuary. That was uh, the case in Indiana. That was the case in many of the recent slew of DUIs. Um, usually, if you're driving you know, twice the level and you're driving without a driver's license, you ain't one of these you know, kind of cleaning ladies doing the jobs Americans won't do. And I'm saying that tongue in cheek, by the way. Um, you know, that are harmless, you are one of the bad hombres and you probably did have a prior record and you probably were released by a sanctuary city, often in California, as was the case in Indiana, and then you go to another state that's not a sanctuary and kill their people. Which is why, unlike transportation and education and healthcare, which should be state issues, that is why immigration was federalized. Well, exactly why Madison said he took it away from the state's as it resided during the Articles of uh, Confederation. But it, it was this story that I said to myself, we, nobody is speaking for the forgotten man. We're not asking for anything big. We're not even asking for major cuts to welfare, major cuts to entitlements. All we want is that we don't pay for the noose to hang ourselves, that we don't pay to create an insurance car, hospital cartel conglomerate to, to gouge us, that we don't pay for an ethanol mob to put their crap in our engines against our will and raise the cost of food and fuel and eliminate so many jobs in oil refineries. That we don't have the Federal Reserve engaging in monetary manipulation and monetary morphine, screwing around with asset bubbles to the point where now even in a good economy – the market's uh, crashing. Now there's inflation problems that normally inflation would be, at, you know, at least to the measure it is. It's kind of moderate. It's very moderate, the report that came out today. It's not, it would be reflective of a healthy, growing economy. It's not a problem. But it is a problem now because of the way they create expectations with treasury yields. Now they go above 2.75. They're at 2.9. Oh, my gosh, we're going to die. And now the interest on the, on the debt is going through the roof. No one, no one wants to talk about that either. I'm going to link to all these articles I, I urge you to read them cover to cover. There's a lot of information in them. I just don't have time to get to it now. I want to speak more broadly. We need a document that has teeth, that gets commitments from, that starts with something like the Freedom Caucus and its leadership and gets commitments from people running for Congress on a set of principles wrapped around looking out for the forgotten taxpayer and consumer, the guy who is not a criminal, the guy who is not an illegal alien, and the guy who doesn't want a subsidy, doesn't want a handout, but he just wants a fighting chance in a free market. 
that doesn't want unaccountable, unelected government of the other branches swamping Congress. They want their elected representatives to have control and oversight over what's going on. Systemic governmental reforms, term limits. This is what we need. And, and if you're one of those candidates out there, and nothing personal to those that are, only have raised five, ten thousand $10,000, I mean, it's, you're not going to win that way. But those of you who, are, who have enough money to make a serious run at it, the, the, the door is open. You're welcome to come on the show and give your vision. We have a very growing platform, not just at Westwood One here at CRTV. A lot of new show hosts, Andrew Wilkow, great, brilliant free market thinker, limited government thinker. Now as a TV show with us, he'd be happy to have you on. I could try to get you on some of the other shows. Not a promise, but I'll try. You know, if, if you really stand for it, you'd want access to this audience. But it's going to take an impetus. Most people, I know a lot of you have heard my rant, some of it on Steve Davis's show, and Steve and I were kind of debating a little bit in a friendly way whether people really don't want steak or if you put steak on their table, on their plate, they take it. And Steve was saying, look, you know, people just want the razzle-dazzle. They don't want serious stuff. And I'm not so sure about that. We say politics is downstream from culture, but I think that's overused. I think it's mainly false. I think to a large degree it's concurrent. When you have a leadership on the political realm giving a vision, the polling follows. You see this all the time the few times it's tried. You can't do it on every issue. I will readily admit that due to demographics and education and values and the breakdown of the family in this country, there's a lot of things that 20 years ago we could have pushed we can't push now. 40 years ago we could have pushed we can't push now. But most of the issues we're trying to push, because the Democrats are so radical, this would not just electrify a conservative base and serve as the impetus for either breaking off as a new party or forcing wholesale reform in the Republican Party. But I think would get a lot of people that don't subscribe to the Democrat agenda, but they're just kind of – they just don't like what they're seeing from Republicans. It would get them on board. And that's what I mean, not just in a, like you know, a statement, cut spending, cut taxes, pro-gun, pro-life, and repeal Obamacare. I mean to speak to the philosophy behind it. Obamacare has become too loaded anyway. No one even knows what it is, what it is, what it isn't, which is part of the problem. To speak directly that Americans have the right to contract and seek and providers have the right to provide any sort of health care arrangement unfettered by government restrictions, mandates, subsidies, distortions, and monopolies given to cartels. We have the right to purchase any form of energy and supplies that we want without government intervention. A principle that, that maybe we're going to have a welfare state. I'm not even litigating that. But that no program designed to help the poor or seniors, allegedly, supposedly, should be used as a tool to create a monopoly for a private entity and box out the consumer. I think that's a powerful message that speaks a lot louder than repeal Obamacare, cut spending. You know, 
the audit the Fed bill, it passed three to one by, by a proportion of three to one in the House last time. Senators refused to bring it up. So once in a while, some of this stuff gets voted on, but no one knows about it. It needs to be in a primetime document. Um, the fact that you had the contract with America will make this a very big deal. But I'm just saying having specific bills and committing to co-sponsoring them and doing it early on with primary candidates and having it be done around leadership, not with leadership, will completely embarrass them and show how intellectually vapid Paul Ryan is in addition to being a sellout and a fraud and a coward. He's also intellectually vapid and bankrupt in terms of ideas. You know, he had this one trick pony shtick talking about healthcare in a certain way and he never meant it. And then, you know, forever everyone's like, he's a policy wonk. No, he's not. He's a fool. Anyway, this is the crisis of initiative, a crisis of intellect that we have in this movement. And part of it is it's not a matter of the fact that there's people that are frauds and people who aren't frauds. It's not that simple. Most people are not leaders. Most people are followers. They're going to react to whatever is put on their plate. You need to assemble and coalesce some sort of impetus, some sort of catalyst to, to catalyze, jumpstart, fuel a sort of counter movement into, or into, into orbit. You launch into orbit, and then you watch the dominoes fall. People will be attracted to it. You know, right now, the only movement out there is talking about the FBI all day. To be clear, there's a lot of legitimate issues raised there. I did a show on it. But there is no movement to discuss even things that we know we all agree with if someone actually articulated it. To demonstrate achievable ways to use the news cycle and things that go on like the left does. Oh, this happened, so we must do this. You know, to use it. Not in an insidious way to say this is our solution to this problem. You know, I'm just watching as as I'm recording this, and you know, a lot of you won't hear this until till Thursday. But uh, just just devastating what's going on in Florida, and you know, we just gotta pray. It's it's just terrible. The you know the, the breakdown, the the mental illness we have, the breakdown of families, the problems we have in this country. Um, and we don't know the details, but it does appear like it's worse than Newtown um, in terms of casualties. Just horrible. Um, but you know th- th- that's that's the thing. We, there's a lot of tragedy, and public policy and politics doesn't speak to every issue. Um, it really doesn't. A, a lot of it is is a faith issue, and a lot of it we're not going to know until we get up there why certain things happen. But you know, to be clear, when you talk about deaths committed by you know killings committed by illegal aliens or released by sanctuary cities, I mean that that is a very avoidable. Immigration is an elective policy. Sanctuaries are supposed to not operate that way under law. You know, that's something we could easily change. Um, but to be clear, we certainly have a, a violent problem, a culture of violence in our own country. I mean, the whole knockout game, you know, even without the mass shootings, but just you know, I, I could tell you where I live in just outside of Baltimore. My gosh, I mean, there's a massive, it's a cultural problem in inner city Baltimore. Um, but it's a, you know, not just inner cities, it's, it's really everywhere. But I digress. 
you know, just it's just with a heavy heart, just so much tragedy, so much so much death. Um, but you know, nonetheless, you know, I'm going to focus on my job and what I can do and what I can influence. And look, I'm just one man. I'm one person. I'm one guy at the bottom of the totem pole. All I could do is try to speak the truth, try to do it intelligently, spend time doing my research, monitoring stuff, calling the plays. We we shouldn't be doing this. We can be doing this. This is a better way of doing things. Trying to get it to the right people as much as I can, but ultimately, it's going to take it takes more people. And I think this plan is very achievable. Now, of course, it's not you have to implement it. And that's that's the next question. But I think just getting the document and the signing of it in itself will shake up the primary system and Congress at this point in a very positive way. And it will also allow us to fulfill MICA 6 8. You know, I'm not so worried about outcomes. That's for God. My concern is we can't even get on the map. We can't even get what we stand for. Most of the public doesn't even recognize what we stand for or it's completely misconstrued by being trapped in this contaminated body of the Republican Party. We can't – that's all I want. All I want is a critical mass of people to get together and stand consistently for the right things on each important issue. Let the chips fall from there. If there's really a majority of people in this country that reject it, it is what it is. But I still will never be able to live with myself if we don't try. A lot of people say conservatism is out. Has it really been tried? Especially in the modern era with social media, has it really been tried? You know, aside from the dumb platitudes, I don't think so. So let's try it and then declare it a failure if if and when it fails. Anyway, I'm going to have a lot more on this. Like I said, keep thinking of ideas. Let me know your thoughts. Um, A lot of you in the audience are smarter than me. dhorowitz at crtv.com. Obviously, follow me on Twitter at rmconservative. Again, my voice is just gone, so I'm just sorry today. I'm just a little bit hard for me to talk uh, just because I've been talking so much to all sorts of people. Um, But definitely follow our written content. You can now click on my name. Finally, that function was fixed on our website, and you can go on from there and just see one thing after another. I'm going to try to cover as many issues as possible. Obviously, sadly, 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 the Florida issue is going to um, you know, really saturate the news. And, and God forbid, I don't mean to diminish its importance, um, but you know, in terms of what we can do public policy-wise, obviously the left will say it's all about guns and they'll make it about public policy when we know it's, it's really just something much deeper than that. Um, but obviously – we're going to continue just focusing on all these issues and what we can be doing, what we're not doing. Um, the fact that the budget battle is not over. There's an omnibus bill. That's another chance. The The budget caps are just caps. They blew the caps. Okay, so it's not capped anymore, but you don't have to spend that money. Now they're going to actually appropriate it. Do we have a plan to block it? What could we be doing? Look, you know, you got, you, you got to try. The righteous fall seven times and get up, as, as it says in Proverbs. So... You know, we fall a hundred times and hopefully get up again. But like I said, I, I need your thoughts. I need your thoughts, your prayers. Um, you know, just going through this and 
if nothing else, I just need a way of justifying why I'm even doing this for a living. What difference are we making? But, you know, we're definitely not going to make a difference if we don't try to innovate with strategies, ideas, and shake up the system. So we're we're always going to be working on all fronts. We're going to re- try to return to our um, meet, meet the candidates segments. I'll let you know who comes on, who doesn't. Eventually, um, assuming they don't come on, lots more come in. Um, we'll update you, obviously, on the outcome of this amnesty fight. I felt there's no purpose. It's so fluid now. It's it's kind of a stalemate, but watch out for the short-term extension deal. That's what I was always worried about. Trump now says he opposes it. The question is, if you get 80 senators, which I believe you would to support it, sadly, would he then oppose it? Um, I don't know, and that's what I, uh, I'm worried, but hopefully we'll hear good news on that. Thanks for listening. Thanks for hearing my rant. As always, this is your place to hear the truthful rant. Westwood One, CRTV, this is your place. This is our time. This is our moment. Thank you very much, and God bless. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. 